The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. My name is Sam Clapp. I'm 19, and I'm a freshman at UMHB. All my life, um, I didn't really have a faith of any kind. Um, I had a lot of spiritual conversations with uh, the people close to me, and always the really deep questions that kids tend to ask, you know, like, what happens when you die, stuff like that. And um, I just never got clear answers. And so that, for me, was such an unstable foundation for, I guess, a religion that I just didn't believe it over time. Uh, Just science for me, as I learned more and more about science, I was just like, well, the natural order of the universe suggests that it just kind of like happens this way. And I just didn't believe there was something outside of that. So I just kind of started to develop this idea that this didn't make any sense. But I slowly started to realize a lot of my friends believed the same thing too. And it became like, one of the main things we talked about it. And not talk about it as in like a theological conversation, it was just mocking. Like mocking Christianity, the fact that there's a God, people who believe in God, and that was just kind of how I was. Then when I got to high school, I was a part of theater, and someone in theater I found out was, she was a Christian. And not just like, you know, she goes to church every Sunday, like she would talk about it. I, to her face, would make fun of her. Like, at lunch almost every single day, we would argue about Christianity and how it was real or wasn't real all throughout the year. Like, it was a constant conversation. These conversations um, turned way more into discussions than arguments. There was a point um, towards the end of the summer where she was like, are you starting to like grasp any of this? We've talked about it for a while. I'm a stubborn person. I don't think my beliefs are changing, basically. And she said, "Um, that just breaks my heart because I want to see you in heaven. And that shattered me. Like I didn't, and I cannot explain why because I didn't believe in it. She eventually invited me to go to church with her. And then their youth group was going to student life camp for the summer. And I signed up because I was, you know, excited to spend time with her. And then we split into guys and girls for the whole week. And it was, I think, the second night of worship when um, I'll just, I'll never forget the feeling I had. It was so, it like, it was so, to me, I, I experienced God's presence for the first time. It was when everyone was singing to the Lord because they were desperate for Him. I realized it was real. And I cannot explain it. The fact that I could go from, I don't believe this at all, to like this one moment where everyone's singing and I'm, I realize that this is a real thing, that these people are, are worshiping. Jesus is real. And I've experienced change that is, is only possible through Jesus. I believe in this and I'm passionate about it and I like to talk about it. And that is crazy. Like, like the complete shift in my life. The fact that I enjoy talking about this now and I used to make fun of it all the time. Isaiah 29:16. You have turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say about its maker, he didn't make me? 
How can what is formed say about the one who formed it? He doesn't understand what he's doing. Well, that's very convicting because those are things that I thought and said um, throughout my whole life. And just thinking about the fact that I'm God's creation and like he formed me and there was a time in my life where I was like, he's not real. That like breaks my heart. Knowing that my heavenly father had to look down and know that I was believing fully in my heart that he didn't exist and didn't create me. And just reading that reminds me of the truth that I am creation. I love Sam's story, and I love it because it just displays so well how the resurrected King, Jesus Christ, can take a life and transform it, can change it, can awaken a heart to believe that he is Lord. Some of you have come in here today, and you're going to have the opportunity to embrace Jesus as Lord, to trust in this resurrected King that we confess today. And we're going to do that by answering a couple of questions. My, my name is Chase, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at TBC. And today, we're going to look at the resurrected Christ, and we're going to do that by answering a couple of questions. And one, I think, is an important question, and it's this. What are people going to say about you when you die? I, I have the privilege of doing funerals and up going to a lot of funerals and it's, it's really interesting to hear what people say about people after they've gone to be with the Lord. Sometimes people remember really funny things about their loved ones. Sometimes they remember really hard things and painful things. I have a friend who is in ministry in Georgia and he, he just says to me when we talk about this, Chase, the one thing I hate is the best thing they can say about someone who died is, well, he was always on time. Surely there's got to be something more. Listen, I had the privilege about a month ago of visiting with some ladies who think about death more than the average person does. I went with my friends, Dennis and Ruth, who are right here in the front, and got to go and visit ladies they visit with every week. And it's the six ladies who are on death row in the state of Texas. And I was thinking about what are people going to say about you when you die? I didn't ask the question like that. I asked, what is one thing you would want people to know about you? And ladies went through giving their answers, and I'll never forget the last one. She was on my left. She was sitting at a table with Dennis, and she paused, and she thought, and she said, what I would want people to know is the worst 15 minutes of my life aren't going to define me forever because Jesus Christ has changed me. And I thought, man, me too. Isn't that good news? Well, what we're going to do is look at what people said about Jesus after he died, what eyewitnesses said in the Gospels about Jesus after he died, and in answering that first question about Jesus, we're going to find the answer to the second and more important question. And that question is this, if a man dies, shall he live again? So Job is a book in the Bible, and it's a book about a man who suffered a whole lot. It's one of the oldest books written. Job chronologically would have lived about the time Abraham did. And Job is asking, and later in the book, answering the question, if a man dies, 
Can he live again? It's a question philosophers wrestle with throughout the time that humanity has been on earth. People were asking it 2,000 years before Christ was born. People asked it when Jesus was alive and teaching. And people ask it today, if a man dies, can he live again? Now, some people hear that and go, well, sure, they... Someone dies and they live on in their loved ones in some kind of mystical way. That's not what Job was asking. That's not what we're asking. And as we look at 10 amazing things about Jesus Christ that people said in the gospels after he died, we're gonna find the answer to the question. If a person dies, can he or she live again? Well, what are the 10 things? The first is this, no one ever spoke like this man. In in John chapter seven, and I'm in the middle of Jesus's ministry, there's a feast happening in Israel. There were three feasts that people went to in Jerusalem every year. So all of Israel, people from beyond the borders even have come to this big feast. And in this feast, they're dumping out water pots on the altar and they're quoting a couple of passages of scripture. And one of them is, we will drink water from the wells of salvation. God being the well of salvation. And as they're doing this at this feast, Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and he says, if anyone's hungry, or if one's thirsty, rather, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's saying, I'm the well of salvation. I am God's son, come in the flesh. And the religious leaders knew what he was saying. They were so angry about it, they sent people to arrest him. The people went to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed. And the religious leader said, why didn't you arrest him? They said, no one ever spoke like this man. They couldn't arrest him. They were so amazed at what he said. Listen, I don't tell a lot of people this, but my wife and I, we went on our first date. She was working at Baylor, downtown Dallas as a new neonatal intensive care nurse. I was going to a conference. I asked her out. We went out that night. She was working night shifts. She goes back into the unit and they said, how did your first date go? And she went, no one ever spoke like this man. (laughs) I, I know, right? And the nurse she was talking to said he was that profound. She said, no, he's that, he's that country. <laughs> she said, if he leaves Texas, he probably has to take a translator, right? That's not what they're saying about Jesus. In fact, we know that because another way they said it, one of the other things they said is they marveled at his teaching. Mark chapter 1 In Luke chapter four, two gospel writers record the same account of Jesus goes into this village called Capernaum near where he grew up. It's one of his first teachings. He goes into the synagogue and as they would do, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to teach from the prophet Isaiah about a messianic passage, a passage that was telling about the king that God had promised to come and rescue Israel. He's gonna give sight to the blind. He's gonna help those who can't hear to hear. Those who can't speak are gonna speak. Those who can't walk are gonna walk. And those who are held captive, both in prison and held captive spiritually, they are going to be set free. And then he says this, he says, today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And the people marveled, they were astonished. Perhaps the most famous sermon Jesus preached we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he begins to talk about the law that Israel knew. And what he begins to tell them is that there's a life that goes beyond the law that you can't really live naturally. It's supernatural. I'm calling you to live a life in which you could forgive more than you ever think you could, in which you could love your enemies and pray for those who hate you and harm you. Your life can be utterly transformed. And the people were astonished. Matthew 22, 33, just before Jesus died, There's some people in Israel who do not believe that the resurrection can happen. They don't believe a person can live after he dies. They're called Sadducees. In fact, the the rulers and the chief priests, when Jesus was crucified, they were Sadducees. There was a guy named Caiaphas who was the high priest. He didn't believe that resurrection could occur. And they asked Jesus a question about resurrection. How does this happen? What's this going to look like? They asked him to trap him, but his answer was so profound. It says that they were astonished at his teaching. But it wasn't just his teaching that amazed people. It wasn't just that no one ever spoke like this man or they marveled at his teaching. They were amazed by his power to heal. In Mark chapter two, there's a story told in that same village, Capernaum. There's a man who's paralyzed. He's on a pallet and friends are bringing him to Jesus. Jesus is in town. He's beginning to perform miracles. People are really amazed by who he is. And so they bring their friend to Jesus, but there's a problem. The house is crowded. There are leaders from Israel there. There's a crowd from Capernaum in the villages around there. And people are surrounded the house. They're outside the house listening through the doors and the windows. They can't get their friend in. So they take him up the stairs onto the roof of the house, which in the first century would have been flat. It would have been thick, about a foot or two thick. Families would have gone up on the roof and eaten dinner there often. Great breeze coming off the Sea of Galilee. It was a beautiful place for them. And they begin to tear apart the roof and lower their friend down. They just want their friend to walk. And Jesus sees him with a crowd there, with Israel's leaders there. And Jesus looks at him and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Well, the leaders are angry. They go, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he says, well, what's more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. And he says that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, that you may know I am who you think I am. Or I am claiming to be who you think I'm claiming to be. Take up your bed and walk. And what people do with this is they go, well, yeah, but listen, people believe that people could be healed back then. That's really not a big deal, Chase. However, that's simply not the case. That's not what the eyewitnesses say. What Mark says is the people saw it and said, we've never seen anything like this happen. In Matthew 15, it says that the people wondered because they saw the mute speaking, the disabled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified God because Jesus, it it wasn't just his teaching they marveled at, but he had the power to heal and they marveled. He didn't just have power to heal though, he had power over the natural world and his disciples were amazed. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus and his disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee in a boat and a storm blows up quickly on the lake as they often did. They're in a little fishing boat. It is being tossed about. There's wind, there's waves, and they are scared. 
And Jesus, being the Messiah that he is, is in the back of the boat taking a nap. And they are not happy. And what happens next is pretty amazing because it's one of the only times it says that Jesus marveled. They wake him up and they go, don't you care? Now here's the son of God who's come to earth to die for the sins of all who would believe. And they say to him, having seen him heal, having seen him work miracles, having seen him show the power of God, don't you care? And he marveled at their unbelief. And then he stood up and he raised out his hand and he said, peace be still. And they were amazed. Who is this? He commands the wind and the water that they obey. And this is the man they crucified. This is the man who rose from the dead. But it wasn't just the natural world that Jesus had power over. It was a supernatural world. Who is this man that the spirits are subject to him? Mark 5 tells another story of Jesus going into a Gentile area called the Decapolis and there's a guy there who is just so tormented. He is living an awful existence. He can't stay in his parents' home anymore. He's become so violent. They tried to control him by putting chains on him, but he's so powerful, he would break the chains. He lives in a cemetery. Literally, his home is a cave-like tomb in a graveyard. He cuts himself. He's tormented terribly. And Jesus is coming through the area and the man runs up to him. And as he does, he bows before him and the demons speak. They say, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus says, what's your name? The man doesn't answer, the demons do. They say, legion, for we are many. And Jesus casts them out of the man It gives the man freedom, but the people are are shocked by it. They're afraid of it. They ask him to leave. They are astonished. They're amazed. They say, we've never seen anything like this. Listen, I, I had read this passage a lot. I knew this cognitively, but I want to tell you about the moment that I began to understand it experientially. I went to Indonesia in 2008 with Matt Brandon and Keith Talley, and we were going to Sumatra. We traveled 1,200 miles across Sumatra, engaging with unreached people groups to try to find out how to get gospel witnesses to them. And if you go to Indonesia, you Google it, you'll see it's the largest Muslim nation on the planet, but it's not just Islam, there's also animism. Throughout Sumatra, you see scenes just like this. Rice fields, mosquitoes, mountains, mosques, and magic men. You go into a village, you say, are you Muslim? They'll say yes, and then you ask, well, do you visit the Dukun? That's what they call the magic man. They go, oh yeah, of course. He, he gives us spells that protect us. They're afraid of the spirit. So we go to this village. We've parked our truck. We have to walk in and we're walking into this village along the Musi River. They live in long houses. They fish and they farm. There are two people groups that live here, the Musi people and the Rawa people. And as we walk into the village, there are five guys who come to greet us and they are all carrying machetes. Now, I got to be honest, I was fine, but Matt and Keith were pretty scared, right? (laughs) Well, 
what we learned is they greeted us, they welcomed us in, they reached out their hands to shake our hands. When I was a little boy in Texas, at a certain age, my dad gave me a straight old-timer pocket knife that I was gonna carry around. When their village, 10 of the most venomous snakes in the world live. So their dads gave them machetes, right? That makes sense. They welcomed us. We began talking to them and we'd ask, are you Muslim? And they'd say, yes, we're Muslim. Here's this, here's what you just barely out of the picture. You can't see it. They say, we're Muslim. Well, do you visit the magic man? Yes, he lives four houses down from the mosque. And, and so what you need to know is we saw something amazing as we were talking to a guy about the magic man and it involved this fruit called durian. Now, if you don't know anything about durian, it's this massive fruit. You cut it open and everybody agrees that it smells pretty bad, but that's where people get divided about durian. There are two kinds of people when it comes to durian. There are people in the world who say durian tastes good and there are people in the world who are right. It's horrible and it's frightening. It grows in trees and if a durian falls out of a tree, it can kill you. In 2012, more people were killed by durian in the world than were killed by sharks. So we're right outside this village and we're talking to this guy over here who sells durian. And Matt is trying to convince me and Keith to eat it. I ate it that one day, one bite, that was it. And this guy comes up because he sees three white people. He's never seen white people in his village and he's interested that we are there. So he begins to talk to us and I ask him, are you Muslim? Yes. Do you visit the Dukun? Do you visit the magic man? He goes, oh, absolutely. He reached back and grabs a, grabs a spell. He's got this little pouch. He goes, I got this spell right here to bless my house. I said, how did you get it? He said, I paid for it. He shows me his money. And I said, why do you visit the magic man? He goes, no, he, he protects my house. I just said, from what? He goes, what do you mean? I said, why are you afraid? Why do you give this guy money? And he said, behind every tree and stone, there's a spirit. And listen, when he said it, durian started falling from the sky in the trees around us. And I don't mean two. I mean, the ground was shaking. 60 or 70 or 80, just boom, 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 boom in 30 or 40 seconds. And I'm talking our eyes were as big as Texas where we come from. And we stepped back and asked Jesus, who is sovereign over the spirits, to bring peace in that moment and to stop it. And it did. Never had anything like that happen before or since. But I'll tell you, in that moment, I said, who is this man? that the spirits are subject to him. That's what they asked about Jesus. And because he was so amazing, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They're seeing these things that he teaches like no one ever taught, that he heals the sick, that he has power over nature, power over the supernatural. And they said, well, some say you're a prophet or, or John the Baptist. Now we've got to pause here because some of you hear this and you go, listen, this is all great for religious people, but I'm a reasonable person, right? I could never actually believe this. But I, I would just invite you, if that's you, just to, just to look around. When I look around this room, I, I see doctors and nurses. I see math teachers. I see realtors. I see insurance guys. I, 
I see moms and dads, I see college educated people, people who are getting an education, people who work hard for a living, all reasonable people. And there's something that we as Christians say at Easter. If I say he is risen, they're gonna say something in response. He is risen. He is risen indeed. These reasonable people have examined the evidence and they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Some say he's a prophet, but really nobody reasonable goes, I don't have to reckon with Jesus. Just for instance, one of the reasonable people who reckoned with Jesus, a fairly smart guy, his name is Albert Einstein, you might have heard of him. Albert Einstein said this about Jesus Christ. As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I'm a Jew, but I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. See, you might hear these things and go, this was a myth. Einstein says no myth is filled with such life. So Jesus didn't just ask, who do people say that I am? He asked, who do you say that I am? And his disciple Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. My father did. And by the way, we're gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna suffer at the hands of the leaders and they're gonna crucify me and I'm gonna rise from the dead three days later. His disciples said, no way, no way you're gonna die. He rebuked them and he said it over and over and over. Here's what's going to happen. Well, people say, no, Jesus didn't make himself out to be the son of God. I mean, come on. Well, his enemies thought he did. In fact, when the Jewish rulers arrested him and beat him and interrogated him, they took him to the Roman governor, Pilate and Pilate just said, guys, I'm listening, but I don't find any fault. There's no guilt. He hasn't done anything wrong. And Jesus' enemy said, no, he made himself out to be the son of God. Now, this seems like a really easy moment if he wasn't claiming to be God for Jesus to just go, oh, no, 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 guys, there's been a terrible mistake here, right? I'm just wanting to teach and love people. I don't actually think I'm God's son. But that's not what he did. He didn't answer them a word. And then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? See, the Jews were waiting for a king that God promised. And this king was going to set them free. They just thought he would set them free from Rome. But he came to do something far better, to set them free from their sins. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If it, if it was, I'd come and take over. He was the king of the Jews, but the Jews rejected him as king and they rejected him because he wasn't the kind of king they wanted. They wanted him to restore Israel to prominence, prosperity, and peace. And he came to save sinners. People on all kinds of margins of society. There's a, a story in Luke 7 where there's this woman that comes to him. He's dining in a Pharisee's home. She's not welcome there, but she hears Jesus is there. 
and her sins are many and she wants them to be forgiven. And so she busts in the home, bows down at Jesus' feet, starts weeping and wiping his feet with her hair because she wants her sins forgiven. The Jewish leader said, if he were a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman this is who's touching him. They didn't understand he came to heal those with a sin disease. Dave Tate talked to us last week about Zacchaeus, this guy who was just this ruthless, money-hungry tax collector. Jesus is coming into his town. He sees him and he says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. Nobody liked tax collectors back then. It's way different than now. We love tax collectors, right? (laughs) Salvation has come to your house and they hated it. They hated it, so they crucified him. And when they crucified him, they thought they were thwarting the plans that he had. And what they didn't realize was that they were fulfilling the plans that God had made before the foundation of the world. Here's the last thing they said about this Jesus after he died. He was alive His cousin sees him early on in his ministry. John, his cousin, is baptizing people. As far as we understand, John had not seen him as an adult and he sees him coming out into the desert and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now to understand what this means fully, we've got to understand Israeli culture in the first century. Every family would bring lambs to sacrifice for their sins. These were the lambs of men. They would bring them year after year to make a sacrifice for their sin, but they didn't forgive their sins because they had to keep bringing them. And what John is saying is, look, this Jesus, he's the lamb that God has brought. He's the lamb God is giving as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And he was a willing lamb. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. See, they thought they were stopping his movement and they were fulfilling what he said he came to do. He was crucified. And then he rose from the dead. See, when, when those people said no one ever spoke like this man in John 7, they began to ask a question. Could this be the Christ? His friend Mary or Sister Martha, their brother died and Jesus showed up after he died. They said, if you had been here, my brother would have still be alive. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He's on the cross. He looks down at those who are killing him and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Could this be the Christ? He told his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem over and over. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and I will rise again. And in the silence of Saturday, those disciples wondered. But Luke 24 says that on the first day of the week at early dawn, these ladies who'd been following Jesus, they went to the tomb taking spices they'd prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
when they went in and they didn't find the body of Jesus, they were perplexed. The two men were outside the tomb in dazzling apparel. These are angels that are there and they asked this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? If a man dies, shall he live again? And on that resurrection morning, Jesus said, yes. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. And they were amazed. They went and told his followers. His followers said, we can't believe it. And they went and looked for themselves. And he appeared to them and many others. A lot of people saw him. If a man dies, shall he live again? Well, here's what Job said. He knew it to be true by faith 2,000 years before Christ came. In Job 14, 14, he asked, if a man dies, shall he live again? In Job 19, he said, I know that my redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed in my flesh, I will see God. I and not another. I will see for myself my heart Easter is the declaration that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And while we're inviting you to believe today, we're also here telling you it's just true and very true. The world has stopped, not just in Texas, but in places like Oregon and Boston and Botswana and Rwanda and Ukraine and Myanmar because Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, I love bunnies and eggs as much as anybody. My wife gave my son-in-law a Reese's bunny for Easter. If it's not gone, when I get home, it's mine. <laughs> but here's the reality. We wouldn't be talking about bunnies and eggs at all if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. And when he did, he conquered sin and death, which is huge because those are the two biggest problems that we face. You go anywhere in the world and, and you'll hear people from a variety of belief systems say this, things are not the way they're supposed to be. You watch the news and you see things are not the way they're supposed to be. You hear a diagnosis of a friend and you hear things are not the way they're supposed to be. You hear of a marriage breaking apart, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And honestly, things are not the way they're supposed to be because people are not the way they are created to be. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23 kind of sums up our problem and God's solution really, really well with just a few words. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to talk about those six words as we close this morning. Wage, sin, death, gift of God, life. A wage is something you earn. If you go down to Bucky's today to get a job, you can make really good money along with having really clean bathrooms. You can make $18 an hour starting out at Bucky's. You go get a job at Bucky's, you make $18 an hour, you work 10 hours, you earn $180 after tax is taken out, you got about 25 bucks left, right? <laughs> a wage is what you earn. And because God is unimpeachable in purity, he's perfect. 
our sin, our rejection of God. Sin is missing the mark of God's glory. It's anything we think, say, or do, an attitude of our heart that displeases God. And we got plenty of that. All of us do. And what we earn with our sin is death. It's not just physical death, it's separation from God. Now, Romans 6.23 could have ended at the word death. There could be a period right there and God would be completely just. But that's not how Romans 6.23 ends because God's not only just, he's merciful. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift is not like a wage. You don't earn it. Your parents don't give you a gift for Christmas. Hey, here's a PS5, son. That'll be $500 you owe me, okay? No, it's, it's free. The giver chooses the gift and God says, here's the gift I would like to give you knowing everything wrong we've ever done, anything awful we've ever said, all the anger we've ever lashed out in, all the poor attitudes of our heart. Here's a gift I wanna give you in exchange for your sin. I wanna give you eternal life. And it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The scripture is devastatingly clear about how broken we are. And that's also incredibly clear that God has pursued us in Christ with a relentless compassion and never ending love. I love the way Alistair Begg describes it. Alistair Begg's a Scottish preacher. He's got an accent that Texas boys like me only wish we had. And he describes the thief on the cross who says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, can you imagine what it's like? Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's being crucified right next to the son of, of, of God. He starts mocking, but then he sees he's changed. Can you imagine? He goes to heaven. He's standing there at the gates of heaven. And they look at him and they go, well, why, why, why should we let you in here? And he goes, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, I, I, I don't know why I'm, I don't know. Well, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? Well, no, what, what is that? Well, have you memorized much of the scripture? What, what scripture? No. Well, wait, wait, what did you do for a living? Let me check my resume. I was a thief and robber. Well, Hold on, why? Well, I don't know. Well, there's gotta be a reason. He stops. It's the only thing that I can tell you is the man on the middle cross. He said I could come. Not because of anything I've done, not because of any goodness in me, not because of some power I have, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. And here's what you need to know today. The man on the middle cross said you could come too for all who trust in him. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. Would you just bow your heads with me? And I'd ask everybody in the room just to bow your head and open your heart. 
And let's just consider the man on the middle cross who died and rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. The scripture's clear. There's one way for you to have reconciliation with a God who created you. If a man dies, can he live again? Yes, we will all live and be raised to a resurrection of death and separation from God or a resurrection of life with ever increasing joy in the presence of God. And maybe today, very reasonably, you would say in faith, I want that life. And if that's you, I just invite you to pray with me right now. Something like this. Jesus, I need your help. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Don't understand it all, God, but I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I want life in him. God, I give myself to you. If that's you today, I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. The scripture would tell us that if you're trusting Christ in this moment to be your savior, to be your king, that right now in Christ, you're becoming a new creation. The old has gone away and new things have come. New life has come that cannot be taken away. Maybe today you're putting your hope in him. Maybe today you hear this and and as a believer, you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed him in baptism. We've got a baptism coming up in just a couple of weeks. There are a couple of other things I want to tell you about that you can consider in this moment. Maybe you've just been away with a pandemic and whatever else. It was just easy in isolation to get separated from the people of God. And maybe you're coming back to connect today. Maybe you're brand new to church and you like to connect. Maybe you go, Chase, this is a really big deal, but I got lots of questions. Well, we want to give you time to respond to that. And I'm going to tell you, you can do it. One is that outside these doors on my right, your left, there's a response room with a sign right out in front of it that says response room. There are people that are there that would love to visit with you. But we also understand it's a really busy day. So what I'm gonna do when I'm done praying, you will be able to see on the screen. If you're trusting Christ today, we would love to visit with you about this. So if you just text this number, 254-379-9300. If you text follow, either if you're trusting Christ today or if you have questions, you wanna talk about what it means. We're not gonna give your number to anybody a pastor or elder from TBC would reach out to you just to begin a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. If you're new to church and you want to connect, this is part of what we do, but it's not all we do. The lifeblood of TBC is small groups. If you want to connect to a small group, we'd love to help you. You can text connect to that number. Maybe you've been here for a while, but you're just not connected further than Sunday morning. You can text groups to find a group at TBC. These numbers will be back up after we sing one more song, but we want to stop and thank God again for the resurrected Christ before we sing. God, we give you praise. For our Savior, no one ever spoke like Him. 
He had power over disease, power over nature, power over the supernatural world. And he answers the question in his resurrection, if a man dies, can he live again? Yes. And God, we say thank you. We give praise to our great and resurrected King Jesus. He's the reason we stop and gather today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.